Amen. All right, Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, again in your Bibles, we're working our way through this great chapter in the book of Romans. Romans chapter number 3, we've been looking at and dealing with the righteousness of God. So if you're taking notes, you might simply just entitle this very clever title today, The Righteousness of God, Part 2. No real cleverness in that, but certainly we know that the Bible has much to say about the righteousness of God. We're going to be looking today simply at verses 23 through 26 as we've worked our way to this place. Verse 23, the Bible declares, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. In verses 25 and 26, there is a phrase that's repeated, and that simple phrase is his righteousness. His righteousness. Now, his righteousness is important because when we looked last week at the definition of the righteousness of God, we gave you this definition, that the righteousness of God is not simply an attribute of God. It is his righteousness provided in Christ and imputed to all who believe. So when we refer to the righteousness of God, we're not just referring to an attribute of God. We are literally referring to His righteousness that has been provided in Christ. His righteousness, as Romans teaches us, is imputed or placed into the account of all who believe. So today, as a believer in Christ, you have His righteousness placed into your account. It's imputed into you. The only hope today, the only hope for the sinner is God's righteousness that's provided in Christ. That's our only hope today. The only hope for the sinner is the hope that is found in God's righteousness that's provided in Christ. Now, verse 23 clearly and definitely defines all man's problem. All right, here it is. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That declares that man's problem is universal. There is none that is excluded. All fall short. Why do they fall short? Because they've sinned, all right? These two thoughts are connected. The Bible doesn't just say for all have sinned. The result of sin is falling short of the glory of God. That is the character of what we're talking about this morning. When we see something like this, we declare to the world, all have sinned, that is true, but don't leave out the second half. Come short of the glory of God. That second half of that verse is really what the intention of God is for man. That man would reflect, demonstrate the glory of God. The only way you and I can declare or reflect the glory of God is to have his righteousness imputed into us. That's the point of what's happening here. The glory of God, we fall short of that because of sin. Verse 26, which we've already read, we'll come back to this in just a moment. 
declares man's remedy. Now, the remedy is not provided by the man or the woman, the sinner. It is provided by the same God. Look what it says. To declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Verse 23 is the problem. Verse 26 is the remedy. Okay? Everybody see it? The problem, all of sin comes short of the glory of God. The remedy is his righteousness. Okay? That's the remedy for sin. His righteousness. As we've been dealing with the subject, the righteousness of God, we need to keep that in mind that when we talk about the righteousness of God, we're talking about something that is necessary. Why is the righteousness of God necessary? Very simply, because all have sinned. Okay? Righteousness of God is necessary because all have sinned. Why is there not one way of life for one person and another way of eternal life for another? Okay? That would contradict the nature of God. If I was to say that salvation for this side of the room is this way, salvation for this side of the room is this way, I would contradict the nature of God. The nature of God is so that the only way is his righteousness. Okay? So if I declare there's more than one way, one way for this side, one way for that side, what I'm doing is I am, I'm declaring that the righteousness of God is not the sole way of salvation. Why is it the same for all? Because all have sinned. All of us today and every person who's ever lived is guilty of sin. You have never met a sinless person. You have never met even a person in themselves who is good by nature. So that is a universal declaration. All have sinned. And because we've come short of the glory of God, sin does this. Sin brings us short of the commandments of God. All right? So in other words, when we say all have sinned, we have missed the mark. We have transgressed. We have fallen short of keeping God's commandments. Or we've been talking about failure to keep the law. We're all in the same universal problem. That problem is we've all sinned. And because of our sin, we miss the requirements of righteousness. And if we don't have the righteousness because we miss the requirements, we do not reflect the glory of God. The glory of God matters. God's glory being reflected by you and I matters. Salvation is not just about missing hell. Salvation is about the glory of God being revealed in us. Now, praise God, we get to miss hell because we're saved. Praise God, there is no more condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. We praise the Lord for that daily. But understand something, it's not the sole purpose. The child of God is to, because of his righteousness, is to reflect the character of God. Guess what? You cannot reflect the character of God unless you have his righteousness imparted into you. His righteousness reflects the character of God. Without his righteousness, you do not reflect the character of God because sin always leaves you short. We have so sinned that we can never become righteous through our own works. We can never become righteous through the keeping of the law in any extent. There is this only way of righteousness. This way of righteousness is of God. God's righteousness is much better than any of the best human righteousness we can ever hope to even to, to provide. You think about the most righteous, great, 
holy work you've ever done and it would fall short of God's requirements, but more importantly, or as importantly, it would still leave you failing to reflect the character of God. Okay, there's a lot, of, there's a lot in that. We'll come back around to that at some point. So what do we have here? This reflection of God's character, this reflection that ought to be found in us. Why did God create us? He created us to reflect his character. That's why you're not, one of the many reasons, you're not taken to heaven the moment you're converted. Why would he leave you here? Why would he continue to allow his children to endure what we endure in this life? Why can't we just get the affliction and the suffering over and just get there already? Because the reality is, is his children are to reflect the glory of God. Every sheep that has been and is one of his is to reflect his character. The only way to reflect his character is through his righteousness. Now, this righteousness of God being necessary because all have sinned is very closely followed by this thought. That the righteousness of God is given freely by his grace through redemption. Okay, so we're going to, we're going to pull that, that thought apart here in just a moment. The righteousness of God is given freely by his grace through redemption. Notice what Paul writes here. He says, being justified freely by his grace. Notice the word being, and I know that doesn't seem like an important word, but notice, remember who Paul's been talking to. He's been talking to Jews, he's been talking to Gentiles. He doesn't say the Jews are justified freely by his grace or the Gentiles are justified freely by his grace. Being who? All have sinned. Jew, Gentile. How are the Jews and the Gentiles saved? Being justified freely by his grace. If a Jew is saved today, he's saved by what? Grace. If you're saved today, what are you saved by? Grace. Any person in this world who is saved is saved by what? Grace. Justified how? Freely. Okay? This is the blessing of justification. Justification is in a dark contrast to accusation and condemnation. If I am justified, I am no longer accused I am no longer condemned. Okay? I, as a child of God, am no longer under the condemnation of God today. As a matter of fact, I'm not even accused of God anymore. I am no longer under the accusation that is given in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. I am no, that accusation of falling short of the glory of God is not as what as it was before I was converted. I'm still a sinner. But there's something different about this child of God now. This child of God now has his righteousness. Now, if, you, if I was to bring in a, a handheld mirror and have every one of you look into the mirror and ask you, can you see his righteousness in your reflection? All of you, I would hope, would say no. You're not going to see it visibly that way. You're not going to see his, his righteousness that way. This, again, this righteousness justification is a legal term. Okay, you've got to keep these things separated. Justification is a legal term. I'm declared without condemnation in the eyes of the judge. Christ. 
Because of what? What is my proof? What is my evidence? Why am I no longer condemned? Because of his righteousness. When God the Father and Christ is going to one day look, he's going to look at us. He's not going to say, what did you do? Who were you? Where did you go? He's going to see his righteousness is going to be the declaring factor. This righteousness of God, it is justified freely. What does the word free? It's not just without a cost. It means that it's also, it is sown freely, which means it's not exclusive to just one group. Remember, the Jews were not the only recipients of the gospel of God. They were not, they were the first. Remember, we learned they had the oracles of God and they had an advantage, but it's freely. We have the righteousness of his son. This is what astounds me. When you have his righteousness, it is as we have the righteousness of Christ as our very own. Now, that doesn't mean that we're righteous of ourselves, but we have his righteousness. And it is such in a profound manner that it's like we have it ourselves. It's really a deep thought to think about this morning. But notice he says, being justified freely by his grace. Look at that phrase, freely by his grace. You could break this verse up and you say, being justified, that's one thought, freely by his grace. So it's the, it's the what and the how. What am I? Justified. How? Freely by his grace. The cause of the blessing of justification is the free grace of God. That's the only reason. Grace is the only reason I can give. I don't have any other reason for why I've been justified. It's freely by his grace. What does that mean? That means he chose us, he redeemed us, he called us according, as Ephesians says, according to the good pleasure of his will. If it's grace, you can remember this, if it's grace, it always has to be free. Okay? Grace has to be free. If at one moment grace costs me anything, it's no longer free grace. Grace is free. Now, that doesn't mean somebody didn't pay. Christ paid. Christ paid it. It's free to you and I. But if someone says, I'm going to give you grace, I'm going to impart grace into you, they can't do that. Only he who paid the price can pay for that grace. We always say free grace because the scripture says what? Freely by his grace. I claim no originality to this statement. Faith is an empty hand that receives the grace of God as a gift. Okay, I don't even know who said it, but I'm not going to claim it. It's not mine. But that's what grace is. Faith is an empty hand that receives the grace of God as a gift. It brings nothing to it. That's why it's free. I saw this this morning. It's always interesting how, the, how God works these things out. A quote from George Whitfield. He says, Glory be to God. Our salvation depends not upon our own free will, but upon God's free grace. Here is the sure bottom. The believer may build upon it. That's the sure bottom. The sure bottom is the grace of God. Freely by his grace. Now notice he says, through the redemption. 
redemption. That redemption now is, you know, we understand that grace is free grace. This is favor to someone who's undeserving. As a matter of fact, we are deserving of something. We're deserving of hell. But redemption means to buy back. It means to pay a ransom. I do that in order to release someone from captivity or release them from bondage. What were you and I in bondage to? We were in bondage to sin. We served sin. That's all we knew how to serve because we fall short of the glory of God. To be sure the glory of God is to serve sin. Sin becomes or remains our master until we're saved. Now notice the Bible says that this redemption or this purchase, this buying back, Christ paid the debt. Now let me undo something that you have probably heard somewhere along the line. I hope it was never in a church you attended. But let me undo this thought. Christ paid this debt, but it was not paid to Satan. And it was not paid to any other creature. It was paid to the justice of God. There are people out there that are teaching that Christ paid a ransom to the devil. He did not pay anything to the devil. He didn't pay it to any other creature. He paid it to the demands of a holy God, God the Father. He demanded a payment. That payment was made by Christ the Son that was preordained before the foundation of the world that Jesus Christ would be, and we'll deal with this word in just a moment, that Jesus Christ would be the propitiation. It's a big word, but in a very important word. I'm sad to say that churches are avoiding biblical words because they're afraid their people can't handle it. You folks can handle these words. I know we can handle these words. Being freely justified by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. It is in Christ. The redemption is in Christ Jesus, whom, that's a reference back to Christ Jesus in verse 24, God has set forth to be a propitiation. To set forth means to put forward, to set to the forefront. Through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus, the source of this blessing is the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Christ, our Redeemer, perfectly obeyed the law, bore our sins in his own body, was buried, rose again. Christ is now seated at the right hand of God the Father. He's as a mediator. In Christ, you are justified freely and completely. In Christ, completeness. Complete in him. Why? Because God set forth him as the propitiation. The word propitiation has been rendered a couple different ways. One of the words that's not as common is expiation, E-X-P-I-A-T-I-O-N. It's an older word. But then there's also just a simple as an atoning sacrifice. So a propitiation is an atoning sacrifice. So you're doing no disservice to the Scripture if you read that, whom God has set forth to be an atoning sacrifice. Through what? Faith. Through faith in what? In His blood. This expression of the biblical truth here, the, 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 the actual Greek word, it falls, it falls a little bit short, but we don't speak Greek, so it's not that important today. We're speaking English, so we understand what this means. But this term implies the removal of something. Okay, It's not only an atoning sacrifice that just is given, it removes something. It removes the wrath of God. So what Christ did is he was the atoning sacrifice that removed the wrath of God. 
which is what every one of you need. It's what I needed. I needed the reason I'm not under condemnation is today is because the wrath of God's been removed from me. The reason you're not under condemnation today is because the wrath of God's been removed from you. The reason you're not going to hell today if you're saved is because the wrath of God's been removed from you. If you're unsaved today, you're still unconverted, the wrath of God still remains on you at this moment. Until you call on him, repenting and believing the gospel, the gospel is the means in which Jesus Christ has programmed and told us, that's how I want you to call my sheep unto myself, through the preaching of the gospel. The word propitiation, you can actually study this for yourself. We won't turn there this morning, but Hebrews 9, 5, it's used in the term of the mercy seat. It describes the Old Testament The Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat. The mercy seat is where the blood was applied. It's where the sacrifice was made. The Ark of the Covenant, you understand, was a type of Christ. You look at that, you understand the Ark, you understand everything that the Ark of the Covenant was about, you understand the temple and the tabernacle, you realize all of that was pointing to the necessity of Jesus Christ as being the atoning sacrifice, which ultimately did what? Remove the wrath of God. Very few times do you hear people talk to someone about their soul and talk about the propitiation or the removal or the need of the wrath of God being removed from them. You often just hear, if you just pray this and ask this, that it will be given unto you. And the scripture knows nothing about that type of a conversion. The conversion, was, the conversion is complete when Jesus Christ paid the penalty. Okay, That's why it's a finished work. You add nothing to it. I add nothing to it. Finished work is a finished work. Christ is the propitiation. Not a way. He is the propitiation. He is the atoning sacrifice. We don't use that terminology and say Christ is a way of propitiation or the removal of God's wrath. He is the removal of God's wrath. The only reason God's wrath is removed is because of Christ. That's it. We've been reconciled to God by his obedience, by his sacrifice. What did he sacrifice in his blood? By Christ's suffering in his own body and his own soul unto death. He had to die. Jesus Christ died as that atoning sacrifice. Through faith. Through faith. God... The propitiation for believers, it is, it is intended through God that in all ages he applies it to them through faith in God through Christ. It is not enough for you to say, I believe in God. It is, I believe in the atoning sacrifice of Christ which has removed the wrath of God from me. Lots of people believe in God. Belief in God does not save you today. If I say, what is your salvation testimony? And you say, I believe God. That in and of itself is not enough. Even the demons believe in God. Even the demons believe in God and they tremble. And yet they are unsaved. I believe God's not enough. But it is through faith in what? Through faith in his blood. Notice that statement. Through faith in his blood. To declare, or that is to announce, his righteousness. 
Okay? These things declare his righteousness for the remission. Okay, what is it word? What is a remission? This is not the same word. Now, I want you to pay close attention. This is not the same word you find all throughout the scripture that means forgiveness. Rather, this intentional term here is not the typical word for forgiveness. It is an overlooking. Okay? It's an overlooking of sins that are passed through what? Through the forbearance of God. Forbearance is literally, it is to stay judgment or to withhold judgment. Okay? Now, it's forgiveness. Don't, don't mistake what I just said. Remission implies forgiveness, but it goes that one step further. It also means there is an overlooking. How did God overlook our sin? In forbearance, in patience. When did our sin start? Even the song we sang this morning and even what David said in Psalm 51, I was conceived in sin. That cute baby that's born, cutest thing you ever see. I don't think there's anything more precious than standing looking through a window or having that, having that doctor hand you your child. I, 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 to this day, you'll have to help me if there's a greater experience than that. You'll have to help me if there is. But that child is born in sin. And I'm not trying to be cute, but it doesn't take long to find out. The sin immediately starts not long after you get And by the way, their sin really starts when you get them home. They're needy, they're self-centered. It's all about them. Some people never outgrow that. They're the same way when they're 50 years old as they were when they were newborn. The reality is, is that that baby born in sin through the forbearance of God overlooking. Because what does he have a right to do? He has, a, he has the right to pour out his wrath upon you at any moment. And this is going to go over like a lead balloon. God's got the right to pour out his wrath even on a newborn baby. Now, this is hard for us to get. And don't, don't, this is one of the things, if you come and ask me, I don't have a full answer for this. And by the way, it's okay. Because we have a struggle with this, but God has a right to pour out full wrath on anyone he chooses to pour wrath out on. I can't dictate to God who he can and cannot pour wrath out. I can't. And today is not about me trying to determine what's God's wrath and what's not. I'm just telling you that God overlooks, forbears, and he has demonstrated forbearance with all of us. He's still demonstrating forbearance. Because guess what? Even though we have his righteousness, guess what we still keep doing? We keep sinning. Now, if you don't, I'd like to talk to you because you've got a problem. You've got a problem with lying. You've got a problem that's demonstrating, even by saying that, that that nature is still there and it doesn't take much to rise its head up from and back up around the surface. But imagine still sinning, but being declared justified. Imagine still doing wrong, yet God saying, but you have his righteousness. God doesn't look at us and say, you get to stay saved because you prayed. You get to stay saved because you have his righteousness. That's two different, that's totally different things. 
Christ is not looking at you and saying, you get to stay without the wrath, my wrath upon you because you prayed or you gave or you did or you were baptized. You get to remain without my wrath because the righteousness of my son has been imputed into you. That is all in the eyes of a holy God that matters. Now, someone who's been saved is going to live a life that is different. You can disagree with this. That's your prerogative. Your life is going to be different. You are going to act different. You're going to think different. Your life should look different than what it did before your conversion. It's not going to be perfect, but it's going to be different. This is not about lordship salvation or not lordship salvation. I'm just telling you there should be, if the grace of God has been freely given to you, you've been justified freely by his grace, the wrath of God's been removed from you, and you're completely coherent and acknowledge all those things, it is going to lead in a different life, just on the practical side. But on the spiritual side, it has to make a difference because now something's in you that wasn't there before, his righteousness. Now you have the righteousness of God living in you. God pardoned the sins. Now get this, another part, men like to separate over this, but they have no way around this. How did God pardon the sins of believers in the Old Testament? If you say some other way, then you're missing it. It was always through Christ. Christ was being given in pictures. Christ was being given in types. But if you say Old Testament saints were saved by what they did, you're preaching a false gospel. If you say that they were saved through Christ, you're preaching the gospel. Christ, as in his human form, does not appear in the pages of Scripture in a sense, the way we understand it. Now, there is where he shows up before, when he shows up before Joshua and he announces that he's the captain. That was, that was a pre-incarnate picture of Christ. He had not yet come in bodily form. But Christ is all over the Old Testament. And if you were saved in the Old Testament, you were saved through the promise of Christ. It's always been through Christ. They were persuaded that the promises that were in Christ, they embraced those promises by faith. When you read the Faith Hall of Fame in the book of Hebrews, we sometimes refer to it, you see the words by faith. By faith in what? Hope it's going to work out? No, by faith in the blood of Christ. See, the interesting thing is, is long before the sacrifices started, long before the commands of the law was given, there were still by faith in Christ. There were people that preceded the sacrifices. There were people that were before those things, and we have different pictures throughout the Old Testament. But this forbearance of God means that God in his forbearance did not immediately destroy us, but he overlooked, he passed by until the law was satisfied in Christ. You see pictures in like the book of Acts where it talks that he winked at their ignorance. That's forbearance of God. It's not God ignoring sin. It's not God pretending it's not there. It's God's forbearance. It's instead of taking out wrath that he's entitled to do, he overlooked until the satisfaction of the law fully and completely was done. Jesus Christ satisfied the law. 
Remember, we've been talking about this law for the last month. Christ satisfied it all. Through forbearance of God, men often make this grand mistake. They say, because God's not doing anything, God's overlooking it. God is not overlooking any evil, any wicked, any sin that's going on in this world right now. He has not turned a blind eye. He has not gone quiet. And the, the last one I've heard recently, he has not gone into hiding. God is not hiding from any man because God is not afraid of any man. He's not afraid of any creature. He's not afraid of even the toughest man that stands up and shakes his fist at God and says, I'm not afraid of you. God is not moved in the least by any man or any creature. He's not even bothered by them. He's not ignoring anything. He didn't ignore your sin. Don't ever equate your salvation to say that you were better, so he ignored yours. Mm -mm. He's still not ignoring it. It's now atoned. It's paid for. It's under the blood of Christ. But if I use that as a means to continue in sin, I have every reason to believe there's something wrong with my belief system. So if I said I'm saved freely by His grace, I'm going to live like I want to live, your belief system is faulty. Now, I'm not saying you're not going to sin, but if you believe that you can do whatever you want and God just overlooks it because now you're saved by grace, you completely misunderstand grace. And it is fair to say you may still be dead in your sins. You don't build a crowd with that. I'd rather be told how good I am. I'd rather be told that I'm a pretty good person. I am a, I am a great partner with God. You're not a partner with God. We are to reflect His glory. This is not a partnership. You know when a person goes into business with another person and they say they declare partnership numbers. 50-50. That means I get 50% of the profits and I also get 50% of the problems, right? That's how it works. 50-50. We get all that it comes, split it down the middle. Salvation is not 50-50. Salvation is not 90-10. Salvation is not 99-1. Salvation is 100% Christ. And all we have been left here to do is to reflect the character of His Son through His righteousness. That's why you're here. What is the purpose of life? To reflect the character of God. You say, that sounds mundane and unimportant. Yet that's Bible. You're left here to demonstrate His righteousness. Not just in what you do, but in who you are. The righteousness of God was demonstrated by Christ in keeping the law. It was His works. It was His work that declared it. Right? His works declared it, not ours. That's what Paul says in verse 26. To declare, I say at this time, His righteousness that he might be just, Christ, and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Who is the one that's justified? He who believes in the one who is just, Christ. God's attribute of righteousness demonstrated he shows himself to be just by nature in the way he redeems sinners. What is his requirement? 
that his righteous law be satisfied. How is the righteous law of God satisfied? In Christ's obedient death. That's how the law and his righteousness and his requirement is satisfied. Christ is a just God and a Savior. What does the gospel declare about Christ? The gospel declares how, what, who God is in his character, in his attributes, and in his glory. That's what the gospel declares. Who God is, what his attributes are, and his glory. People are saved for the glory of God, not for the glory of man. Nobody's ever been saved so that you and I can stand up and take selfies at the altar about what you did. They're saved for the glory of God. Well, I'm just taking pictures for the glory of God. No, you're taking pictures for your own glory so that people think you're successful at what you do. No man's ever saved another man's soul. If you're saved, you've been saved, by the, you've been saved for the glory of God by the glory of God. If God uses you to speak to somebody about their soul, like Jesus spoke to the woman at the well, if God allows you to have a conversation, make sure you always include the glory of God in it all and remember that when you're talking to them. Because there's, nothing, there's no, nothing more thrilling than to see somebody come to know Christ. But don't take credit for it. It's not you. You are not the reason. You are simply to be a mouthpiece. Christ has already done it. It's already been declared that he might be just and justify him who believeth in Jesus. Christ saves men in such a way that his justice and his truth are never violated. In other words, nobody gets saved against God's will. Oh, park there for a while and you'll have a split church. Nobody gets saved against God's will. That leads you to a problem then isn't it God's will that all will be saved? If that's God's will, then all will be saved. The Bible declares they're not all going to be saved. So is God's will being violated? I think not. God's will is always accomplished. We have prayed for so long. We pray for God's will to be done, God's will to be done. You know God's will is always going to be done? We might say this, God, allow me to be used accomplishing your will. It's a whole different story when you preach to a congregation of people saying, God, you haven't called me to force your will on anybody. You've just called me to proclaim it, to proclaim your will. And my heart's prayer is that God will allow me to be used so that his will is done. So if a person gets saved, I don't walk out saying, boy, it's a good thing they, I was sent into their life. No, I just simply say, it's a, I, am, I am humbled by the fact that God even used me. With all my faults and all my missteps and all my problems, God allowed me to just simply be a mouthpiece. And that's all we are, folks. We're mouthpieces. God is just. And then finally, let's just consider this. If salvation is given to the guilty and all are guilty, okay? If salvation is given to the guilty and all are guilty, no one can claim exemption. No one can claim an opt-out. Yet salvation is freely given. What are we left to say? Okay, think about that again. If salvation is given to the guilty, all are guilty. Nobody claims an exemption. Nobody can claim an opt-out. 
yet salvation is freely given, what are you left to say? That'll lead us into the message for next week. You can think about it all week long. That's, what's the, that's what the question is in verse 27. He asks, it's a question, answer with a question. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. That means the salvation that's been given, all are guilty, there is no boasting that you and I can make. It's all of God. The only thing we can say is salvation is purely by the grace of God. So folks, let me encourage you today. Let Christ have His rightful place and let Him have all the honor. Let Him have it all. Do you know how hard we struggle letting Christ have all the honor? Because we are so wicked. We want something. Why do you want credit for something you had nothing to do with? We should say, Christ, you already have all the honor. Allow me to give you all the honor. Lord, humble my heart so that I don't do anything for my own honor. I only do it for the honor of Christ and the honor of his glory. Salvation purely by the grace of God. It's not of him who works for salvation. We've been learning this. It's not he who keeps the law. It's he who believes. Not he who merits but it's him who trusts. Faith is an empty hand. It receives the gift of God. Faith, open-handed. We want to take something to God with a closed hand and drop it in there and say, now this is my righteousness. God does not need it. God does not want it. Whatever your hand brings, if it's not the righteousness of Christ, it is worthless. Whatever your hand holds, you could give God the key to your bank account, means nothing for your righteousness. You could give God the key to your heart, it means nothing for his righteousness. You could give God your entire family and say, look, I'm going to give you my whole family. It will be nothing. Only thing that matters is what he gives. He never has been looking for people to give. He's been looking for people that would submit to him, submit to his will. The righteousness of God is God's righteousness. It is his way. All we're called to do is send, we are sent rather to declare it. You know where the righteousness of God goes? It goes wherever you take it. I'm not trying to be cute this morning. If you have his righteousness, it goes wherever you take it. You are living proof of justification by faith. So don't give the idea when you talk to people that you were saved by any other thing and any other means other than I've been saved by the grace of God. When someone says, tell me about your salvation experience, be careful about where you start. You know what the number one first word of your salvation experience is? I I did this, I went here, I said this, I vowed this. It's not about I. Start your salvation conversion experience, I don't even like that word, with Christ. Christ did this. But what else did you do? Nothing of value. Nothing of merit. Well, certainly he required something of you. 
Repent and believe the gospel. Isn't that interesting that even repentance is the gift of God? If I repent it, it's a gift. If I have faith, it's a gift. If you have belief today, it's a gift. Faith receives the gift of God with an open hand. If you're lost today in that terminology, and you understand what I'm saying, if you today cannot know and claim for sure that Christ is the only way, it is an open hand that receives faith. Repent and believe the gospel. Christ alone. We sing about it. We talk about it. Christ alone is the only one that can satisfy the demands of a holy God against sinners. It's the only, Christ is the only one that could appease him, the only one that could be approved of. It appeased the wrath of God. Anyone, Jew, Gentile, anyone who trusts in Christ alone is declared righteous. Folks, that's why I've been telling us, and I hope this is what you tell people, is that when someone accuses our church and says, you don't believe in whosoever will, correct them, please. Never once have we said we don't believe in a whosoever will. We just understand who makes the whosoever willing. That's it. If you come to Christ, we know why you came. If you you believe on Christ, we know why you're believing. If you repent today, we know why you're repenting. Guess what? We're not going to say, I'm so proud of you. I'm going to say, glory to God. Glory to God, not, boy, I'm glad God sent you to listen to me preach today because, boy, he must have really used me. Mm -mm. Glory to God. Because God's the one that did it. God's the one that made you the whosoever who was willing to come. He who is thirsty, let him come. Guess what? Not all people are thirsty. Christ gives us open invitation. If you're thirsty, come and drink. If you desire, come to me. Christ has never turned a single person who came to him in faith. He's never turned them away. Yet why doesn't the whole world turn to him? Well, man likes to say it's because I just haven't made that choice for myself yet. No, the real answer is, is God hasn't made you willing. But I'm praying that he will. Why? Because even when you're willingness, God gets the glory. His righteousness, that's what every sinner needs. Why? Because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God.